If you ever, uh, well, well, before I before I launch into that, let me welcome you to the podcast episode one twenty four. Um, good to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. So, if you ever want to um, find a little hideaway from uh, the demented world that we live in, you want to go somewhere where there's bracing good sense, clear thinking. Uh, one of the places you can go to hide is is in a pretty much any book by Thomas Sowell, and um, he he pointed something out in a something I read by him uh, recently. I'd, and I'd I'd seen him make this uh, point in an earlier book of his, and I thought I'd mention it here. Uh, you want to be able to talk back to your your television screen when somebody's telling you when. When someone's telling you a story or they're feeding you a line or they're saying, oh, here's the problem, you want to be able to have something to say. And uh, I might as well tell you what I'm talking about, right? There's a difference between a statistical underclass and a real underclass. There's a difference between a statistical underclass and a real underclass. What do I mean by that? Well, the, it's it's similar and, and not the, exactly the same thing, but it's analog it's analogous to the difference between absolute poverty and relative poverty. There's absolute poverty, which means that if you don't get medical care or if you don't get food or if you don't get shelter, you're going to die. You're going to be dead within the week. That would be absolute poverty. So, a, uh, someone who who's absolutely poor is someone who earns two pennies a day and they live in a cardboard box outside Manila. All right, that's absolute poverty. Relative poverty would be um, uh, something that is the result of the bell curve that follows every human society everywhere it goes. Um, as my, my father-in-law, uh, now with the Lord, was fond of saying, did you realize that w- fully one-half of all doctors graduated in the lower half of their class. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. And there's no way that it can, there's no way it could be false because somebody's going to be in the lower half of the class. If you're going to have a class at all, there's going to be the lower half of it. So there's relative poverty, the lower half of the class. In affluent societies, uh, the relatively poor, people who live below the poverty line in the United States, okay, think about this. If, you, if you're below the poverty line in the United States, do you own a car? Yes. Do you own a smartphone? Yes. Do you own a house? Well, most of those who are relatively poor own a house. Do you, ha- you, know, do you have a laptop? Do you, have, you, you start going through all these things. These people are relatively poor, and they really are relatively poor compared to... Um, the affluent in our society, but that's a relative measure, not an absolute measure. Um, something analogous or similar is going on with what I started with, a statistical underclass and a real underclass. A real underclass would be like the untouchables in India, uh, back when, they, when that caste system was firmly in place and policed and defended. The untouchables were the untouchables, and if you were born in an untouchable um, family, you were going to die an untouchable, and your kids were going to be untouchables, and so on down the line. Um, so your family, if you were in that, in that lower strata, that was a permanent underclass. That was a real underclass. 
and that and time didn't change it. Time would just simply exacerbate um, the problem. Well, one of the things that people do, one of the things that leftists, leftist progressives do when they're trying to get us to sign up for their latest uh, tomfool thing is they'll say uh, things like, uh, a generation ago, 10% of the American, I'm, I'm just making these figures up just to illustrate the point. Um, uh, they'll say 10% of, of Americans lived below the poverty line, and 10% were the, were the um, filthy rich. So we have the filthy rich at one end, and we have people living below the poverty line in, um, uh, in this particular year. Now, let's say, uh, for the purposes, again, of our illustration, that 20 years later, 12% of uh, the people are below the poverty line, and 8% are filthy, stinking rich. Okay? Now, uh, it'd be very easy for a demagogue to point at that and say, look, the rich are getting richer and fewer, and the poor are getting poorer. Now, just um, there, there are a number of factors here, but like, like who sets the poverty line? Who's in charge of that? Is, um, is that, a, is that a, a line drawn by bureaucrats? Who does that? Uh, secondly, are we talking about absolute poverty or relative poverty, the thing I was talking about earlier? But the main point I want to make here today about the difference between a statistical underclass and a, uh, a real underclass is this. 20 years ago, when you're looking in that 10% who were um, below the poverty line, where are the people, you know, Smith, Murphy, Jones, the people who were in that class back then, 20 years ago, where are they now? In other words, in a statistical underclass, you've got um, 10% of people living in poverty, and then 20 years later, you've got 12% of the people living in poverty. Yes, but they're not the same people. They're not the same people. If you were talking about the untouchables in India, you would be talking about the same people. But when you have a um, newlywed couple, they've been married six, one, uh, six months, he's in graduate school, they're living below the poverty line, they're you know, living in a, in a small studio apartment, and they walk to school, and they, you know, they're, they're eating beans and rice. Right? They really are uh, on the lower end of the spectrum because they're trying to make it <laughs> he, he's trying to make it through uh, graduate school in biology so that he can then go to med school. Where is he going to be? Where is this man going to be in 20 years? In other words, in, in America, we have a remarkably fluid society, and it really is uh, there, there really is a lot of upward mobility. So there's a difference between a statistical underclass that I might be a member of in um, the year 2000 and not be a member of in 2019 at all. And, and Thomas Sowell is a, is a good place to go if you want uh, bracing reminders of this sort of, uh, uh, this sort of thing. So we're continuing the podcast our podcast, uh, episode 124, and uh, it's hermartiology time. And I, last time I reminded you that we're, we were going to be doing a cognate uh, word uh, 
swirl a set of cognate, cognate words swirling around the the word ungodly, and we've come to the second one. Uh, the verb that means to live in an ungodly way is asebeo, asebeo, and only occurs twice in the New Testament. So the first time is in Second Peter, and as we saw in Romans one, it's a sin that incurs the wrath of God. So in Romans one eighteen, it was talking about the wrath of God coming upon ungodliness, the sin. Uh, here, it's uh, in Second Peter two six. It says, "And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that that should that after should live ungodly." All right. So, in other words, God wants us to remember what happened to the cities of the plain. There was Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the three other cities. Jesus told us to remember Lot's wife. Um, remember, she was judged in that cataclysm. And we are told uh, here in this in Second Peter and also in Jude that the summary judgment that fell on those cities was designed by God to be a warning to those that afterward should live ungodly. In other words, uh, God wanted the story of Sodom and Gomorrah told um, for the benefit of anyone who wants to live in an ungodly way any time after. That would include us, although we're thousands of years after. Um, there are plenty of our number who want to live in an ungodly way. And so God destroyed those cities as an example. So this is a slightly different take on LGBTQ month or other pride activities such as marches. Um, LGBTQ history needs to include Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who want to live in an ungodly way want to, um, want to celebrate it, and in that celebration, they are uh, rejoicing in something that God condemns. In an earlier podcast, in, in the previous one, we mentioned the passage in Jude that uses this word along with its cognates, and here's that verse again. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, uh, there's the verb, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, um, just a few verses above, that's Jude 15, just a few verses above, I think it's in verse 7, Jude mentions the great negative example of Sodom and Gomorrah again. If we are told to remember it, then perhaps we ought to take heed. If if God tells us repeatedly to remember this, perhaps we ought to remember it. For our book review section, I want uh, today in podcast 124, I wanted to uh, commend to you a uh, a real stirring book uh, by uh, Anthony Eslin. It's called Out of the Ashes. Out of the Ashes. Now his um. He's written some other books, and he's, uh, he, his book on marriage, and I, the title of that book is, has escaped me for some reason, but it's got marriage in the title. Uh, Tony Eslin is just a marvelous writer and thinker, Roman Catholic uh, gent. I, I did a conference uh, with him one time for the Illinois family um, uh, people, and he spoke, and I spoke for that evening, and he, he was, it was a real pleasure to meet him. And when you read books like this, Out of the Ashes, he's uh, taking on um, all the corrosive um, 
assumptions of secular modernity in our modern life and tackling them uh, head on. And he writes with punch and verve, and he, he's just, he really knows how to um, pitch it high and inside. And when you read, if, you, if, you're as, if you're as distressed as a Christian ought to be at the condition of um, the Republic, if you're as um, upset as you ought to be at how many lies are told and with what frequency they're told and how, uh, how disruptive and destructive these lies are, um, and you read and you sit down and read this book you'll you'll probably read it in one or two uh sittings it's the it's the kind of book that will just suck you in and then when you're done reading his analysis of what's going on the way it is and the way it ought to be and the way it used to be not perfect not not we're not looking back to some um utopia but the way it it's possible for societies to be reasonably ordered in a fallen world. And uh, Eslin is magnificent when it comes to uh, uh, describing this sort of thing. In my Goodreads, uh, in my Goodreads uh, review of this book, I, I said Anthony Eslin is a total baller. He really um, gets you worked up in the right way. <laughs> and when you finish his book, you want to go out and punch something, you know, you want to do something. You want to. You want to give me something to do. Give me somewhere to go. Give me a mountain to climb. Give me some task to perform so that I can be um, engaged in fighting for our people. Uh, Out of the Ashes by Anthony Eslin. Really, really fine book about the cultural malaise that has got America by the throat currently, and how we need to be thinking in order to counteract it. It's a great book. Mm-hmm.